Here is Vanessa Lem. Um, Vanessa Lem is my dean. Is going to um, put me through my paces with Nietzsche today. And if I and if I if if I if I have too much of a vulgar interpretation, then she's going to cast me out of Valhalla and laugh at me. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I'm just doing vague Nordic accents now. That I, I did that line from um, that line's from Conan the Barbarian, Vanessa. Which a, until I was in my twenties, that was like the sum total of what I knew about Nietzsche. Was like that's the opening line of Conan the Barbarian. Was um, um, you know what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, like that, and that that was pretty much it. And that movie taught me everything I needed to know about Western masculinity um, in order to survive high school, which I which I barely did. Lots and lots of uh, of of cuts and bruises and, and bloody noses and cracked teeth and ribs. <laughs> so. But in retrospect, there's more to it than that. So I found out I read a bit of Zarathustra, the Zarathustra stuff in, uh, in my 20s and thought I had a handle on it. And um, yeah, and then I was consuming lots of content from uh, a trans Marxist and a trans neocon on the same topic, which was also very um, vulgar. And I was I was trying out a few ideas around the idea of, uh, you know, an indigenized version of the will to power would be will to relation. And I kind of threw that out, not knowing that you were a Nietzsche scholar who's written books on this topic. And you said, no, 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 the will to power is a will to relation. And I went, oh, <laughs> let's dig into that. And so we're here. Um, yeah, so apart from deaning, um, what, else do, what else do you do? Uh, look, uh, look th thank you so much, Tyson, for the opportunity to, to speak about uh, nature, to speak about something that I, I really care about. And that's been keeping me alive and going uh, for a, a, a long time. And it's in, in many ways something that actually in, enables my Dean work too. So, yeah. you know, my, some people may think, well, where's the connection? And let's not go there too much. Let's just maybe focus. We can talk about that too, if you want to, but maybe it's more interesting to talk about Nietzsche. And I think the um, citation that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger is one of the most cited quotes from Nietzsche. It's it sounds like a misquote in the same way that people people do uh, survival of the fittest from Darwin. Yes, look, look, I mean, 
I think that there is a quote somewhere, something like that. And, and there is definitely a lot of Nietzsche's writings, especially the early ones, where mm. it's it's a kind of a very uh, masculine voice. And mm. sometimes it's really loud and you feel like, can you like turn down the volume on this? I can't hear the yelling anymore. <laughs> like, can someone shut this up for me, please? Because uh, it's you know, it is a certain voice in nature. It's certainly not the only one. I think a lot of uh, feminist scholars have also spoken about uh, sort of Nietzsche's femininity and, and a different voice like Nietzsche as a woman and what, um, uh, and I think there's, there, there are different, um, different voices in nature. Uh, look, uh, around reading Nietzsche, it, it is what I've really enjoyed about him. I think people ask me, why, why Nietzsche? Why do you work on Nietzsche? And I said, well, look, really for me, it's just, he's just has an extraordinary sense of humor and he makes me laugh all the time. Okay. So that's, I guess, my connection. It's just so funny. And I'm not, you know, I don't know, maybe I have an awkward sense of humor. I have no idea, but I can read passages and just like laugh my head off and that's yeah. i think for me um that's the basis think, of any good relationship it is in a funny way you know what it <laughs> actually is and and i think it it makes your you know it, it just makes makes your life much easier as well mm. so i i've always been um i guess that's probably my point of connection with it i've also i think there's another funny thing and i've been and I haven't really understood all of it uh, fully um, or I haven't really teased it out, is that, uh, look, I, I've, I've came across Nietzsche's text when I was a, a student in, in Paris. And so I studied, um, I chose philosophy and I, I basically learned philosophy in French. So for me, philosophy is actually in the French language are sort of two things that right. go together. It's sort of hard for me to separate them. But I was introduced to Nietzsche's text in German, and, and I'm a if I, I used to be, or I still probably am at, at somewhere. Uh, German was is my mother tongue, so there is a certain I guess um, I'm very much intrigued by the language, by language that I, I don't by any means uh, master anymore, especially in academic so language. Do you, do you have to speak a pigeon when you're like if you are? If you're trying to analyze Foucault's biopolitics and then uh, biopolitics from a Nietzschean <laughs> perspective, like, do you, look, do you I, I don't know. It's mix a, your language up, or um, yeah, oh, yeah, I mix. I mix languages up a lot. Other. I do that a lot, and I I use different languages to say different things. So I think the other, for me, it was it's it's a connection to the language that is not part of my daily life because I haven't been mm. living there for a long time and. It's really um, through the text that I, I guess, I, I, I have um, a bit of a, a window to that world at least. And I think another thing, perhaps, in, in response to what you said, well, I've, there's so many different voices on nature, and I've, I don't think I'm not sure. You know, I'm not the authority on nature, and it just it's not an author where you feel. You know, I guess with many philosophers, that's the case. Mm. Well, this is the text I really master. I really know exactly what this guy is all about. Look, what do I know, right? I, I, I really don't know. But interestingly, he, he has attracted very many perspectives and very many readings. And you'd mm. think some of which are completely opposite to each other. And how mm. is something like that possible? And one scholar once, uh, sort of a, a scholar friend, he said, well, look, um, 
Nietzsche's text is written in such a way it will never tell you what it is about. Hmm. It, it's not a text that sort of directs you or points you or, or, or gives you the answer to all the questions. So it is a, it, the way it is written uh, is to basically provoke you to find your own truth, if you wish, or, or your own ways of thinking. And, and hence, a lot of the readings of Nietzsche, I think you learn more about the person who reads Nietzsche rather than Nietzsche. And, as, with, uh, as with most things, I, I, I almost, I don't even read books anymore. I, I, I'm more interested in hearing people talking about them. Um, or re reading people's writing about them. About yeah, the that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. But so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested in your take because of um, your take, your analysis of yeah. it, uh, simply because of the resonances that I'm seeing um, with indigenous ways of knowing, indigenous ways of being. Just um, you know, the whole existential side of things. The, um, you know, what is nature? What is culture? memory and forgetting you know um you know what is it to be a human animal um and and so many other things particularly and and i guess we'll build to this but particularly your take on that will to power and uh you know everything yeah yeah look i think that's the point where we connected when you saw will to power i said no will to relation mm. and so, so look, I think that, uh, you know, where, where do I take this, this from? Or, or, or what makes me say this, that really the will to power is a will to rule? <laughs> I think it's because, I think Nietzsche has always been a very, very strong critic of individualism. Mm. I think he's, he, 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 there's no such thing as an, you know, I think he's very much opposed to, sort of, I guess, the liberal notion of the individual as a sort of um, closed entity that self-cultivates, self-perfects, mm. that sort of e exists in its isolation. I think mm. for Nietzsche, that doesn't make any sense. So everything you are is ultimately the culture you come from, or it's the connections, it's the relations that 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 you, you that that are around you. And so it's so ironic then that his work is so often co-opted by bullies. No, by ideological it is, bullies. It is you know? ironic. Yeah. I think there's a real uh, let I think it is a, a misinterpretation to think that the superhuman is some sort of a superman or superwoman. Mm. I think that's really, really kind of eugenics feel to yeah. it. There's a lot of fascists too who love uh, well, and well, misogynists who just love it, it, particularly his earlier work. Exactly right, mm. exactly right. So I think when he talks about will to power, it's what he's interested in, in is, is in the relation between things. And there can be powers mm. in that sense. I think a lot of people have interpreted will to power as something that sits with an individual or that sits mm. within someone's, or that is someone's power or that is someone's drive or direction. Mm. But really, there's only power in between uh, at least two, you know, a, a minimum two, which I think why for nature there's always I think that's where sort of plurality comes in as well. Yes, mm, mm. uh, um, and it's the way we are held, I guess, in a relationship to others that is either empowering or it mm. is not. So it's all about ultimately uh, the relation, and he's interested in. I think he thinks that our contemporary societies have completely, you know, if you wish, like lost the plot on. Mm what cultivating uh, empowering relations mm. means mm. 
-hmm. So when he um, speaks about culture, for example, he often asks, well, look, what are what would be the right conditions? What are the right ingredients? What's, what do we need to put in place to basically um, um, uh, form, uh, enable, build, uh, uh, grow um, people's geniuses or their mm. talents and so mm. forth? And it's all about, I guess, more that the, the conditions rather mm. than it's the isolation. Yeah. So when you're writing, when you're writing, you know, a book. Um, maybe describe what's that will to power for you that's animating you and and driving you to excel and to and to produce that book in the first place um you know you know a, a related kind of will to power how does that work well i think i, I mean from a nietzschean nietzschean perspective i mean i can't sort of um talk about myself but our but I think f for Nietzsche, he very much speaks about, I mean, on the one hand, I think this sort of the idea of the death of the author very mm. much compenses here his idea of the author. Mm. I think he's extraordinarily aware of his audiences and he has uh, the, 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 his relationship to his readers is a very complex right. one. Yeah. Well, I think the first of all, one has to remember that when he was writing his books, hardly anybody read them, you know, mm. uh, very few people actually read his work, uh, hardly anybody understood what he was actually writing about and so forth. So I think for him, it was probably a very uh, a lonely, isolating experience on the one hand, but on the other hand, I think he was always very aware of how to, uh, um, how to, a guide, uh, or how to say, how, how to, I guess, um, I'm not sure whether touch his readers is the right word, mm. but he was very aware of how the, that the message he was trying to get across, how difficult it is, and not everybody mm. would be able to actually access it or, or know what to do with it. And there's a, a lot as well, a lot of, I guess, rings of protection in his work, which is maybe another reason of why it's not all straightforward mm. in um so he was very concerned that some of the truth as he put it he he had to share were extraordinarily damaging and actually dangerous for people mm. right? um i think in another point perhaps on on that on on on, on his sort of writing was that he he had this notion of um, i think his uh, this narrative of um, the, the good health and sickness mm. Mm. and for him it you know his his own writings and his his own work i think there's there's um tries to capture the the many voices as well and yeah. partly i think where perhaps there's an interesting connection he says, well, look, really all the history of all sentient beings speaks through me. Mm. Yeah. Or this is really something, you know, his, his writing yeah. that's an, are not something that belonged to him or something that he owns, but it's very much. He, on, he, he honored the yeah. genealogies of everything. So he didn't, so, you know, he wouldn't see the seed that is of a tree that it's sending shoots up to break through a rock and grow the tree through the rock. He, he doesn't just see that as this individual seed with a will to power that's dominating the rock. 
he sort of sees the genealogies either side of that tree, you know, going right back. And the same with people, you know, in, in his yeah. regard for people as animals, etc. So that will to power was more of an ancestral force and a connected force, um, uh, uh, sort of going through so. and, and, and driving behavior of every living thing. Um, I, I think so. I think that I've always been fascinating and not, not a lot of people have picked this up. I mean, that he speaks of the human being as a plant. And um, yeah, the, I, the, really this love, weird I, I really love flora side him. and a fauna side uh, as well, isn't there? Yeah. So, 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 look. Some people say, "Oh, look, it's just a just a metaphor," but I think he literally means it. That, mm. uh, and that's I think why I think the life of plants is is uh, so fascinating and so interesting because uh, plants are inherently connected to their environments. They're completely embedded within networks of interdependence mm. and i think that is how he sees the human being as well you we cannot look at the human as something isolated in, in fact uh, he sort of calls into question the whole idea of the human and and says well look show me the first human being uh and and but there is none yeah mm. so he completely mm. dismisses this idea of um, evolution as having a beginning and an end point hmm. and that there would be such a thing even as the human that had started at this point in evolution or another point in evolution. And he puts that sort of as a joke uh, from the perspective of the animals. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so I think he, he really wants to question, I guess, Western notions of mm. the human on the one hand as something given, mm. but on the other hand as well, he's sort of deconstructing the sort of civilizational um, conceptions of, uh, of the human mm. and is really keen on bringing us back to nature. And mm. hence, when he speaks about his philosophy, so summarizing it in, in one sentence, he says, well, look, my task has been to retranslate the human being back into nature. The task mm. of my philosophy mm. is about that retranslation. And that has been sort of intriguing scholars it's, all the um, way through. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because it's it seems to be with a lot of analysis you read, they fall on that one side or the other of progress. So they'll interpret his work as a call for return to nature you know, or for overcoming nature, like becoming this ubermensch that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. this dominant alpha male kind of thing that has overcome uh, yeah. the nature. But it's neither of those things. It's that's just been mapped onto these ridiculous discourses of progress where you have to choose one or the other. Yeah. And so if you reject modernity or reject progress, you want to, or you want to find another way around, people say, oh, so you want to return to nature, do you? You know, um, but I think from your analysis, I'm kind of seeing that it's more about uh, reintegrating with nature going forward rather than yeah. um, look, look, I think, return I think, to a natural state. Yeah, look, I think in on the one hand, there's um, he basically the way I I think the way I in, interpret the sort of this figure of the overhuman, it is what he's interested in is sort of the overcoming of the human. Mm. So it is overcoming, I guess, um, the dominant civilizational notions of 
our understanding of the human as mm. a being with rationality, as a moral agent, and all, all those things that we are familiar with through sort of the canon of Western mm. philosophy, as well as for him, for Nietzsche, a, a Christian morality. Mm. So he wants to undo this understanding of the human and bring us in that sense closer to nature in that mm. sense of closer to animal life, closer to plant life. And it's almost like a, let's return, go back to zero. And he calls this, I would say, this called this the state zero. He calls it this sort of text of homo natura. Mm. A very funny notion of uh, this homo yeah, natura. It's like, where homo is he getting this from? Yeah. yeah, this homo sapiens. Now I think homo natura. Uh, I've, I've uh, you know, looked everywhere, you know, and it, at first I thought maybe he's taking this from another tradition. Where has he got this notion from? Yeah. I couldn't find anything. And I've, mm -hmm. in discussion with another uh, a colleague friend, I think, who pointed out to me, um, look, maybe Nietzsche's just making a joke. Maybe he's just sort of mocking this idea of homo sapiens and sort of sort of inventing his own new, um, you know, a figure, yeah, to actually undo um, sort of reductionist, uh, naturalist conceptions of nature and of human nature mm. by putting out this term. And I think this this text, Homo Natura, he calls it a terrible text because it is tragic in the sense of really he's stripping away all the sort of illusions of our higher being, of our mm. rationality and of all those things that we have so it's called learn to be proud of that mm. that are stripped away and but at the same time i think on the pot so that's the sort of i guess the critique of of uh, of um civilization civilization yeah but on the other hand i think there's an opportunity to actually say okay well all right if we're going if we are considering the human being and as part of nature as part of the animal plant and uh, mm. you know cosmic uh, life then what does it actually mean and 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 what do That's we it. yeah it's good questions mm. but, but at the same time he's asserting that part of our nature as human beings is a facility with them um, with memory and culture yes you know and that that's that's the way through uh without this idea of returning to a you know what people would see as a brutish animal state you know he's looking at embracing yeah our, our nature i guess I, I would i would agree with you like nietzsche is, is i think i always uh, read him as a philosopher of culture mm. um as opposed to um civilization and he's really interested in what 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 do we need to do how can we basically um in a sense i guess heal ourselves yeah. from sort of 2000 years of um, um, error. Mm. Mm. So what was his conception of, of what culture is? All right, I think that there are, I, I don't, it's probably going to be hard, it's going to be hard for me to sort of just sort of say yeah. oh, this is what right. it is because- And, and or this... memory and all the associations yeah, yeah, yeah. of, of so, those so, so look, I think for me, some of the kind of key things that I take from there, so some of his early writings um, on, on uh, for example, Schopenhauer as an educator, mm. there's some really interesting insights in there. And I think for, I think one of the key messages there is that sort of culture is 
I guess, a network of responsibilities as well. Culture actually comes with a higher responsibility. Mm. And, um, and, and so culture is in that sense, it's, it's never something sort of private that could be reduced to the development or the perfection of an individual. Mm. But it, there's a public dimension to culture that um, uh, needs to be, um, I guess, reevaluated or, or mm. recognized. I think in terms of sort of the way, for, for me, like the important, the notions of memory and forgetfulness, are, are, I, I play with those concepts quite a lot because mm. in some sort of classical readings of Nietzsche, some scholars have said, well, look, uh, really what defines a human being and what sets it apart from animals is its capacity for memory. And I think that that's wrong. Um, I think, uh, and I don't think that that's, that is how nature defines it. I don't think that for nature it's a distinguishing capacity because mm. I think it would just bring us back to the problem we started with, right? Mm. Mm. So I think nature sees memory as a very if you again a flexible uh, yeah, organic ne network right that cannot that does not exist outside of its relation to forgetfulness mm. and it is and i have basically when he talks about forgetfulness in his work he often it's you know you see forgetfulness and animality is not is, is close yeah in the text and by forgetfulness it's I mean I mean an enabling forgetfulness that allows for creative memorization or create create creation of, of new metaphors, uh, creation of um, of different unearthing different histories and so forth and so forth. So the two notions always um, come together for me and they are all about, I guess, undoing dominant forms of and techniques as well. And, and Nietzsche talks quite a lot about memnot techniques and how cruel they are and so forth. Mm. But all about, I guess, uh, certain notions of good and evil, uh, certain understandings of um, human nature that we have that have been basically uh, inbred. Uh, within mm. the human being. And so I think his, I see his sort of ideas of, of memory and forgetfulness as counter movements against what I call, I guess, civilizational memory. Mm. Mm. The collective memory. But uh, also at the same time, you know, there's the, he has that strong idea of nature tending towards plurality, you know, and I guess that's the same with human memory and culture. It's um, and you can't have that without the forgetting. That's right. Because everyone forgets. I mean, if everybody had this perfect permanent record and ledger of everything that had happened, there'd be no creativity. That's right. <laughs> and so, what makes your, what makes your thoughts original, what makes you you creative, is what you choose to remember and how you choose to remember it, and yes, necessarily what you choose to forget. And that's a different fingerprint for everybody. But then when you come together and have that collective reasoning, sense-making, meaning-making, you know, then it's that, it's just this tapestry, yes. you know, this amazing mosaic pattern of thought that, you know, so the collective creative is, um, 
is something wonderful. And then again, that embedded within nature, that's what, um, that's what the real stories are, the stories that endure. And um, I guess that that's the fabric of culture in a weird way. Yeah, I look, I, I think it is. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. Um, no, no, it's, it, it, it is a re really interesting. I think when he talks about, about memory and, and uh, forgetfulness, I think he, he makes it very clear that these are not sort of capacities that we control. Yeah, by sort of saying, look, you you don't remember, you don't you don't forget. You, you basically, um, you don't off. We we don't always, um, you know, um, we don't forget when we want to forget, and we don't remember when we want to remember. So it's, it's mm. not about willpower, but it is very much about, I guess, things that also, um, I guess, that embeddedness within larger connections, and for him. That's as well includes, for example, the memory of our bodies. I mean, yeah, mm. our bod bodily memory mm. and forgetfulness um, mm. that undermines, I guess, the understanding of the human being as sort of in as in control over embodiment and its body, for example. Yeah. So I think it's his notion of of nature's one way of. Okay, at one level, the way he talks about it is very much about, okay, what does it mean to actually mm. lead a bod embodied bodily existence and what mm. comes with that? And, and that's where, I guess, that's another way to um, weave that network. And that from that comes his thoughts on wellness. Yeah. Which is often also mis misinterpreted because it's, it's really interesting how how much of this is picked up by your kind of uh, fascist movements you know and even the influence that it's had on hindu fashion via yoga for example being recycled back through the west and into india mm. and then post decolonization you know that that kind of uh, <laughs> how much of that was sort of uh taken on board by hindu fascism etc um i'm not talking about just hindu nationalism there but you know that there's a specific hindu fascism you see it everywhere um fascist movements always take on this sort of misinterpretation of nietzsche and you know the ubermensch the superman as this kind of individual wellness project and this kind of you know by way of the misinterpretation of darwin the survival of the fittest as well um you know this idea of creating these supermen who individually are amazing and um i don't know it's just how did they freeze time that way and just see such a small part of the whole so even their entire lives like they apply this and it's right through the wellness industry you know now the the sort of pseudoscience of wellness that you see is this multi-billion dollar industry it's a, oh, and there's all these cults springing up and there's this kind of idea it's like they can't imagine the fact that one day they too are going to need care yes you know there's this kind of ablest notions of of just leaving no room for those who need care um because you know well, that's their own fault because they weren't taking these supplements or, um, you know, they weren't doing these stretches or <laughs> lifting these weights or going on a lion diet, you know, or if they just tried the carnivore diet, they'd be fine. I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, it's just uh, it's such an exclusionary take on the whole thing and such a hyper individualized take to the point that it's become almost the default sort of secular religion of neoliberalism, you know, and that kind of, you know, uh, endless reinterpretation and reinforcement of, you know, Margaret Thatcher's idea that there is no society, there's only individuals. Um, <laughs> it's just amazing the social fragmentation that you see with these ideological cults that keep springing up around this um, wrong story of the Ubermensch and of this wellness, this uh, <laughs> amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, you can probably tell me a thousand stories about fascist movements that, that have um, really taken off with that. Yeah, yeah. Look, 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 look. I think I couldn't could, couldn't agree couldn't agree more. And and I, I you know, it's it, it. I think it's uh, what I what I always thought was interesting in Nietzsche is like really this very differentiated notion of of health. Mm. Like when he speaks of good health, mm. it's all about sickness, really. Yeah. And so I think the first first idea is is from his perspective there's there's no uh, no such thing as um the perfect health or health as an ideal we should be striving towards and so mm. forth and, and certainly i guess health is is not something that um that that you can do on on your own or something that you can achieve on your own or anything like that yeah. i mean i think i, I think collectively you're right. managing entropy Exactly, exactly right. So I think that there are some sort of interpretations of Nietzsche as the, that's the sort of the Ubermensch as, as the figure of the neoliberal individual and so forth. And I would agree with you. I think this, these, are, these are misconceptions of, of Nietzsche. And so when he talks about, about healthy or talks about sickness at the same time, and he very mm. much, I guess, um, when because he was himself a, a rather quite unwell being actually <laughs> yeah yeah he was himself very sick and um uh and, and and no one was able to to diagnose him because look i think it it, it, it would just is kind of an an interesting pointer towards the fact that it's perhaps somewhere else you need to look if you want to find mm. out why he was so unwell maybe and and for him it's like when he talks about um, it's a homo this sort of the last book he wrote and he talks about his diet and the books he writes and the books he reads and so forth it is all about ultimately um it, it becomes very clear that sort of his conception of of health not, is not only possible because of experiences of mm. sickness mm. But also, I think the this idea of of health and sickness become for him or sort of um, symptoms of uh, greater cultural mm. um, problems. Yeah. And or, how does this link to like a, a kind of frustration of the will to power, a a um, a blocking yeah. or denial of people's will to power? Okay. So so look, I think I, I was sort of thinking about this. Like, what what? How can we what 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 is it what what's a way to perhaps understand will to power that that's, that's the, li the lion the lion and, and the camel that maybe no that's kind of moves away from the sort of mm. individualistic readings of Nietzsche and and it's actually when I was reading your book um there the the Centaur book where you speak about 
I think it's in, in one of the first chapters and you give this um, I give um, an anecdote about the two young men that fight with the knives. Uh, uh. Yeah, the stone knives. And and it's and 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 basically um, the way they hold each other intention, mm. and the fact that I think I think you if you correct me if I got this wrong, but I think the rule is that you can only uh, cut someone on the shoulder, on their back, or on their upper arm. Yeah. That at the end, uh, you know, whoever, you know, basically no one, you know, the loser if there is one. Yeah. Uh, receives the same cut as the one he has suffered by, yeah the, the winner know. gets yeah. the same cuts as the, the loser same, the winner the gets so, the same cuts as the loser so that you know every time you're cutting them yeah exactly what's going to happen to yeah. you so i think the way they are held in tension mm. and the way they are provoke each other to be at their very very best mm. right because i think it's an, an exercise if i, I you, you correct me if i get this wrong of sort of i guess elevation through combat <laughs> yes mm. we will fight but you want to basically both get it only works if the opponents are equals mm. yeah you cannot fight someone who's significantly weaker or stronger than you because that that's not a fight so you can actually always only held in tension i guess mm. if you have a, a, a balance mm. right and and it's really about i guess enhancing the participants mm. and well, it's a learning experience at the same time the structure of that actually takes the inequalities out of it exactly so a smaller person or less skilled person or disabled person is able to participate as an equal in that fight that's right because every time the the faster larger person cuts them they are cutting right. themselves it's something where they both maintain their dignity and just the action of them doing that and trying to solve that problem means they have to work together to solve that problem exactly right exactly and right. it forces them to come into relation and exactly to understand, right exactly right understand and the I... illusion of the that victim and perpetrator you know problem that they're seeking to resolve in the first place That's right. so there, there's no frustration of the will to power there it, it is just something that brings that tension there into balance you know Exactly. And I think that Nietzsche perhaps saw something like that in this Greek concept of Argon. Oh. Right? Because I think Argon is all about what has fascinated him. It's like, how were the Greeks able to have this amazing culture? Right. And I'm speaking now pre Platonic, yeah? Mm. How were they able to have this amazing culture? And how they're able basically to, to keep bound, if you wish. And I think you, you describe this a little bit in the book as well, as sort of masculinity and what you mm. started with, right, mm. today with a sort of crazy masculinity. Um, and I think he was fascinated how the Greeks achieved this. And he, th he thought it was, Argon was one of the, I guess, principles underlying Greek culture. And I think what is, and, and that is uh, how I, I think it's the kind of relationship that Nietzsche is looking for as mm. will to power of yeah so if we understand will to power under this I guess agonistic or from this agonistic perspective it is um actually about justice mm. yeah? that's it that's right it's, yeah? and it's funny if you follow if you follow it through 
I don't know the evolution of this, then, you know, your Ubermensch, you know, as a man would end up being quite more like what we currently conceive of as feminine in, in, in a strange way. Um, yeah. And I guess that, that, that might take, take us into that weird Kant sort of stuff around <laughs> gender and, um, you know, uh, women seeking power and men seeking to be dominated, which, um, that's going the other way, wrong way. <laughs> Yeah. yeah so 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 look i think i think that the sort of you know when Nietzsche talks about um a will to power i think there's there's not i think there's one one note in his in his notebooks where he says well really look the highest form of of will to power would be love yeah mm. would be justice and love yeah mm. um and I I was sort of wondering, like in, in your book, for example, when you talk about sustainability, and I was sort of trying to see, well, look, would there be a way, you know, that there's there's no such notion, obviously, in, in, in Nietzsche's philosophy, but perhaps if there would be, then maybe it would be his notion of justice mm. that comes very close to this idea, I guess, of, of a balance that is dynamic. So mm. not balance in, in, in a sense of static, but a balance that is, there's always dynamic, that is always kept in motion by the various relationships. And um, that is in that sense as well, um, and I guess an enabler mm. of uh, human perfection and growth, yeah? Yeah. We, yes, I mean, you could certainly get that through um, our Aboriginal law. Um, but at the same time, you could get it through an accurate reading of Hegel as well, <laughs> rather than like a, a crappy Marxist interpretation of it, you know. Um, yeah. So, so you were like looking for it, wanted to kind of see how, how, how does that relate to gender and uh, how we could bring that question into the game into, yeah. into the conversation well, and, that's it, well the gender and sexuality then of yeah. course you know comes yeah. into it because he's got quite a different take on that yeah so so i think it, it, it for, for me i've been I'm, I'm sort of in in the master of reading of this figure of homo natura i've been so fascinated by the various texts that surround it mm. and one of uh, the sort of aphorisms that directly follow it sort of Nietzsche actually speaks uh, very much, I, I think he's sort of putting his finger on the question of, of gender. And he, he says there's basically, and I think, oh, and he, he, he speaks about sort of your own truth. So he's bringing, mm. he brings, comes from this sort of reflection of human nature and what is the human being and so on. And then brings us total switch of perspective. There's mm. really no absolute or universal answer to this, yeah. Mm. Mm. But really, all I can say to you is my perspective. Mm. Like, here's what I can say about this, and it's just my truth, yeah, mm. small mm. truth. Um, and in that sense, um, I think it, it very much speaks as well to, I guess his sort of critique of notions of universe, universality, notions of objectivity that really don't exist, yeah? Mm. And rather when he speaks about, I guess, uh, knowledge, it's all about multiplying, diversifying perspectives. It's taking as many 
perspectives as possible into account. So talking about human nature, he brings it, he talks about himself and his experience. And he has this very weird um, formulation where he says, well, look, you know, in the end, down there in, within you, there's this, um, you know, you just hit this, hit a rock. And, and then you'll know, you know, um, um, and that is your sort of inner truth. And, mm. and then, but then at the same time, you sort of, it's dot, dot, dot kind of, yeah. As, as Nietzsche loves to end. <laughs> so yeah. Put, yeah. Immediately puts into question what he, you know, affirmed dot, 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 like whatever kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so undoing immediately what he said. And some people thought, oh, like, there you go. He Man. says that basically I your inner nature, your sexuality, it's all determined from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But he completely deconstructs this. And the way I read it, it is ultimately up to you. Yeah. Mm. You actually have to do that. You know, it's your experience and it's your own individual questioning. And the answer to this is probably a different one for every single person. Mm. It's very, um, I guess, a very intimate question that we don't really have the answer for. But that's what philosophy is all about. You just keep asking those questions. And um, it's, I, such I, a, it's such an important part of the will to power. Yeah. You know, like, like yes, love, and but sex as well. You know, that whole reproductive side of, of everything, but then also just that, um, that kind of joyous, um, and passionate side of things as well and creative it's all uh, it's all one thing yeah I, I, mm. I look, look i think on the on the feminine and and and, and look that again you will find in Nietzsche there will there'll be different readings some mm. say that he's a misogynist and uh you know really awful and so forth and and then others say well look it's thanks to sort of Nietzsche's deconstruction really of gender roles that that um you know uh, um uh, 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 some of the insights that sort of um, Judith Butler draws from Nietzsche mm. are possible, right? So mm. I think you get kind of both two two voices here, um, mm. as with everything on Nietzsche. Yeah, you mm. you get those sort of extremes, and and uh, you know personally, I think he he is a very feminine philosopher. Mm. That's not only because he speaks of truth as a woman, but but also because he's throughout sort of very um you know he compares himself to you know he he compares the the process of writing to generation of life he mm. uh, has uses a lot of very i guess feminine uh, or, or metaphors that we associate with feminine you know should put that a little bit into quotations uh that he uh, as part of his self description so there's you you have again both elements and it's mm. not about saying Nietzsche's either this or that but actually look let's gather all the different voices and see what they mean and it's an it i i i, I it's these are very difficult texts to read <laughs> i've never um uh, and there's every time i discover something new and i learn there's something else to learn mm. Well, you know, look, I guess the, um, it probably brings us more to the idea of spirit too mm -hmm. now. And of course there's that, um, 
you know, spirit and its its role and function, you know, in, in our lives, in our societies and cultures and everything else. But, you know, that, that brings, there's that other famous quote of his God is dead, which is pretty much one of the other things that everybody only remembers. <laughs> yes. And attributes all different kinds of significance to. But there's that story with the madman, you know. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, that's a very, very intriguing quote uh, from Nietzsche in the gay science. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we all know that. I think Nietzsche didn't invent this idea, God is dead. Like, he, 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 that, mm. that was a, 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 an idea that was floating around the 19th century. Mm. But I think the learning, what, what is Nietzsche is that he says, well, God remains dead. And yeah. God remains dead, which means God remains. You can't, there's actually, you know, whether you want to call it uh, um, neoliberal ideologies or whatever ideologies or, or fascist ideologies, ideologies come back and they will keep coming back. Mm. So we can't, you know, basically kill them or get rid of them once and for all. Yeah. Like yeah. the whole uh, aphorism is all about basically saying, well, you know, the humans have killed God and now they are responsible for mm. this death. Yes. Um, mm. what, what have they done? They've taken away all our ideals from us. Mm. And so I think, um, uh, I think what he wants to say, I think what he means by when he talks about God as, as um, in, in, in capital God, I think he, he really means ideas of ideologies, ideas of absolute truth. So he's not, he's not just aiming at a particular religion over another religion, but it's mm. more about the idols that he's also after in, in, in the book of uh, Twilight of the Idols. Mm. And I think he has, I think there's a, this need of, an, I guess, ongoing critique and an ongoing need to overcome some of those ideologies um, mm. and those ideas of Yes, absolute mm. truth. But then that, that accusation too that somehow civilization has killed has killed a god, has mm. killed has killed a spirit, mm. um, has killed that that part of us that needs that mm. and that, you know, is brings ourselves into balance, you know, and that even yes. re religion kills God. Um, yes. so this I know I get that kind of critique in there too of civilization. But you know, I I've been talking I talked to uh, indigenous people from South America. Um, and they, they told me a story about um, the Quetzalcoatl, that big feathered serpent. And, you know, he actually did die. <laughs> mm. So um, I was really interested, you know, uh, to raise Nietzsche with them and, and talk about that concept of a dead God and what's the impact. Uh, because theirs died about uh, a thousand years ago. Mm. You know, and that wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that happened when, you know, Europeans arrived. It, it had happened before that. Mm. Um, and they said it was a result of their civilization uh, getting out of balance and too many hierarchies and damage to landscapes and extraction and uh, unchecked growth that killed Quetzalcoatl. And, and then, of course, afterwards they had to start winding back the civilization and return, you know. Mm. And I guess they were in a, a state of... Um, of still transitioning and re-embedding um, when the Spanish arrived there. Mm. Um, but they didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater with their mm. dead God. Like they still held on to all of the ritual, all of the, they still call out for him. 
you know, and they still have all the practices, you know, and they still, they still care, they, they still do all the ceremony and they still, they still behave as if you were alive in a lot of ways. And it, it is those things and that remembering and what they're choosing not to forget mm. in that he's still living mm. and in that his action in the landscape, you know, and, and his regenerative energies and capacities is still realized through the practice um, of the people, you know, yeah. no, which kind no. of see, I mean, you, you yeah. don't really need a living God <laughs> yes. to, yeah. to, uh, to have that, that need met and to have that, uh, that check and balance and that, um, I don't know, that, that uh, creative capacity in yeah. your culture, that regenerative capacity, you, you can just have it through the practice of of being with God, even if he is dead. Yes. <laughs> that's what I, that's the message I got from them. Uh, that, 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 that's really interesting. Um, that's really interesting. I think, look, I mean, the other, the other, um, um, so, so yeah, look, I think, I think uh, it's interesting because sort of Nietzsche um, um, invites us to, to really think about um, that shadow of mm. God and that remainder of God and, and, and what it means for our self-understanding as well. Mm. And, um, and he, he certainly, um, I think he, he, he's very, I guess he, he was sort of more critical of, um, I guess, monolithical or mm. ideas of God, but he was very open and even welcoming of sort of the plural pluriverse of Greek yeah. gods, right? Yeah. And, um, and I, and I, I think, I think hence I guess that figure in in that particular aphorism in in the gay science it's uh, it's um that that figure that announces uh, the death of God is uh, the man with the lantern, which we we know is um, most likely the figure of uh, Diogenes of Sinope, which is the cynic in mm. the Greek cynic, who 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 um who uh, who was extra you know a, a very very critical of um i guess the the greek greek polis and, and nation state and um i i think like sort of his part of his philosophy was to say look my wealth my health um derives not from me being a citizen of a polis of the city mm. state but derives of my citizenship of the cosmos mm. so he coined that term of the cosmopolis right and i think there's a, a direct the connection co here cosmopolitan came from mm. that's where the cosmopolitan came from but i think it's i think diogenes is, is also important because diogenes is really he wants to say the problem of um the the polis was that it separate it was a barrier a separation from nature it was a protection against nature mm. and that barrier that separation is the problem mm. so where you find real connection and i guess real wealth and health is not within the polis but outside of the polis mm. that is what he wanted to sort of represent so he has a I guess a very different um, 
perspective mm. on what sustains no i'm using like your word the sustainability theme what sustains human life yeah mm. um and that it's it's ultimately through our connection to nature animals the whole cosmos the all of life mm. that maintains us beautiful rather than um i guess artificial immunitary ultimately civilizational constructs mm. that separate mm. us from nature so that's sort of what i associate mm. with that figure of diogenes who announces um the death of god who is that mad man mm. uh but also um who who i think gives us a, a sense of how this homo natura this this natural human being could perhaps look like mm. hey do you want to know how to say diogenes in australian what is it diogenes or no. i never get it right so diogenes diogenes there you diogenes. go yeah. yeah diogenes I, I say, yeah, you're I still you, you're still moving your jaw too much it's a fixed <laughs> fixed jaw accent Diogenes, you hardly move your mouth at all. <laughs> Language is important, you know. Um, that makes me think, though, as a, a lot of my misinterpretation of the will to power, is that an error in translation as well? Because hearing those words will and power in English, that conjures things for me. Mm. Does, it, does it have a different feeling? you know, in, in French, in German, the, the words will and power in German, do they, do they give different shades of meaning to you? Uh, yeah, that, that's a really good, really good question. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's a great concept, yeah? yeah. Um, I, I, what linguistic so, relativism? So, yeah, or, you know, I, mean, I think uh, I, I, the idea "will it so macht" so it sounds pretty bad in German too. Trust me, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't sound okay. good. Yeah, um, and I, I, I think, look, this I this focus on uh, will to power mm. is partly I think also we owe it to. Um, of course, some misinterpretations of nature, but also partly owed to Heidegger's reading of nature, because mm. Heidegger thought that really you can summarize Nietzsche's work in a couple of concepts. Mm. And will to power is one of those concepts. The evil mensch is another of those concepts, and so forth. Mm. Uh, justice, actually, interestingly, is also one of those concepts. So, mm. so um, I think that that has given a certain direction to Nietzsche's scholarship to sort of focus on those particular notions. Mm. But then ressentiment as well. And ressentiment as well. But that's yeah. French. Yes. Well, so why anyway? Look, I think I think that Nietzsche was look, I think he himself had a quite a conflicted relationship to German language. Right. He um, he 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 comes. He he was a trained philologist, so he did not come to philosophy through. I guess uh, he did not study philosophy. He studied philology, so his languages are Greek, Latin, and so forth. Mm. And 
there's some some notes where he says, "Well, I wish I could write. I would write in French." And he says, "Oh, the the more his, his the more mature his work became, or not mature, but the more his work pro I guess his writing progressed. He's like, oh, I'm increasingly writing French, so he loves to mix up the languages as well, and I guess uh, move away from sort of rigid." Uh, from, from language as something that is a, a, a rigid, um, net, you know, a rigid something rigid that exists once and for all. So I think in his very early text, he immediately on, on the truth and lies of, in an extra moral sense, he really takes apart language right from the start, saying, "Well, look, mm. everything, every word, everything is it's just a metaphor," mm. which basically says it, it has it mean it, in that sense it, it its meaning can change, it's fluid. And it's it reflects um, it's it's a construction, mm. and so if we can we can build things in one direction, we could also build things in another direction. So on mm. the one hand, he's sort of highlighting creativity, but on the other hand, highlighting as well how uh, rules of you know grammar, language, and so are always are also trying to I guess force us into certain ways of um, thinking and conceptualizing the world. Hmm. Well, so, look, is it an ideal way to enter Nietzsche's work to highlight one concept and go for No, it, it isn't. It you isn't. know? So, well, like, so, I mean, but I mean, so I, I'm particularly drawn to the whole Rizontamont thing. Yeah. You know, like as a sort of bitter and twisted individual with a with a, a lovely catalogue of pathologies um, and, you know, chips on his shoulder and, and general sort of bitterness and sense of injustice and all these sorts of things. It's, it's, that's where I want to go. That's the part that attracts me. But I felt like, like I've sort of tried to lead the conversation in that direction a few times and it's just not, not, not a part that you're interested in. Am I getting the right vibes off you about that? Would you rather just skip it um. and go to good and evil? I, yeah, look, I think I've, I, you know, I think ressentiment is a really, really interesting category, and I really, it's an interesting entry into Nietzsche's yeah. world for sure. Yeah. Um. But, and yeah. and I think um you know I've 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 written a little bit and really questioned his idea of what he calls the noble or nobility. Yeah. So how would that look like? What kind of a, a person would that be? Mm. And I think it brings us to the heart of this idea of justice. Mm. Um, but, but also it's, a, it's an extra, it's a very, very contested terrain, if you wish. It certainly is. Um, it's just, I just think it's really interesting. You, you have a, you're coming to this with a feminist standpoint. You know Nietzsche and a feminist reading of Nietzsche, very much a feminist reading. Um, yeah, but uh, not so much focusing on that uh, injustice side. Like I've, I've so so I think not I've, in that same I've, way. Yes, yeah. yes, not in the same way. Look, I think I've come not to as a Nietzsche. Point of entry. I was, I was, yeah. I think when when I sort of started working on Nietzsche, he was very much read as the sort of critic of. Mm. Critic of civilization, critic of morality, critic of truth, critic this, critic that. Mm. Yeah, and it was, uh, and I think his his um, re, his uh, notion of ressentiment 
uh, it's, it, 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 I think it's fascinating. It's, I think it captures, you know, very much our contemporary society. And I think it's, there are a lot of, I guess, stereotypes of that kind of, I guess, way of thinking, way of positioning mm. yourself and so on. It's, it's almost like a rule of summer. Sometimes I, it, it's a good, it's a good, um, um, it, it's a good indicator, like, like just of testing your own behaviors like well yeah you say something really let's say rude or mean you're like mm, wait a second where's that where yeah, you yeah. was that just ressentiment you know yeah that's it so so, so i i i really i i like it i really like it in that that mm. way kind of mm. um like you kind of test yourself sometimes your own motivations or feelings yeah. And it was just a Russell Moore sneaking in, yeah. And then, uh, you, uh, yeah. So, so, so I like it that way. So more as a let's let's practice, let's put that into practice. And then I ask myself, well, look, how would that that how would that position of nobility actually look like? Like how yeah. how how would that look like? How would what would that what he calls a sort of pathos of pathos of distance? What does it actually mean not to be revengeful um, and so forth? And I think I've always, I think in my in my work on nature, I guess I, I don't want to undermine the nature as a critic of. Mm. I think it, I, I've taught that many times. So undergraduates, you know, mm. you want someone who smashes Western civilization, let's read Nietzsche and you get mm. everything, yeah? But I was also interested in him as an affirmative thinker. Mm. And that's why I think I was, more interested in his ideas of for example gift giving this mm. highest virtue of gift giving which mm. i think is uh something that he associates with the noble and what does it mean what kind of what is generosity and mm. um, what is gift giving why is that so important for nature um what a, what what a great point of, of entry justice? yeah so much better so, than focusing on risotomata as a point of entry in terms of trying to decide whether it means a longing a frustrated longing for justice or if it just means envy yeah you know um because maybe it's neither of those things and both um and you can yeah, I, I guess you could go around around that all day but um but yeah coming in at the point of gift giving that's um that's pretty that's pretty deadly yeah so, so the, that, that's that was sort of my my i guess my entry and i, I think look on the ressentiment piece i mean nietzsche in a, in a very in, a, in an early pace he he really distinguished himself good envy and bad envy and the, the, the bad envy and on that sort of ressentiment that's it's just inherently contra, destructive yeah. but the good envy if it's held in relation like mm. with the argon or yeah mm. then it, it can be really then it's actually creative, uh, creative, yeah, and yeah. productive, and so forth. And so yeah. there's good envy and bad envy for yeah. nature. And good, I, I was just really interested in the good envy and and, <laughs> and and getting back to to root to the roots of that. But also, um, you know, seeing how, let's say, for example, that that notion of good envy actually is is mm. uh, um, you know. Um, is discredited throughout mm. the history of Western civilization. Mm. And so how, how could that, how could we bring this sort of idea of, of, of an agonistic competition or agonistic relationship back, back and how would it look like? And, and I think- um, It looked like a, st a stone, stone knife fight. Stone knife fight, there you go. I, I yeah. love, I, this, is, this is such a, <laughs> such a beautiful, beautiful image, I think. And um, I actually, uh, you know, when I, I, I tell my, my son asked me for, for uh, stories every, every night, it's a bedtime story. So I told him that story and he listened to the story and he said, yeah, that's fair. 
That's fair. Oh, that's the best thing. And I'm ever like, yeah, I got yeah. he, he's seven years old and he gets it. It's fair. Yeah. It's fair. Nice. That was his description of the stories. He summarized mm. it. And so mm. I think that that's I'm interested in the affirmative thinking because I think we we live in a very, very difficult times. Mm. It's uh, and 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 we need to I, I I do want to look for the I guess ways forward. Mm. and the learnings perhaps that we can find mm. in, in Nietzsche's work to help us mm. um, well you'd be aware from the limits you know the, some of the I guess difficulties that that we encounter in our mm. societies well just you know um, moving towards a wrap-up you'd be aware from my work my um, and a description of good and evil as being so good is more uh, tending towards fostering complexity Whereas, you know, evil is about, um, you know, willfully fostering simplicity and, and uniformity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, I'd, I'd be interested to see that in dialogue with, with, your, with your thoughts on good and evil um, from your reading of Nietzsche. Yeah. Uh, I, I think on, on a, I think there are a couple of things that I find interesting. As I've one, there's this, um, I guess, notion in Nietzsche. I mean, where does good and evil come from? It's well, because we are value creators. We, cre we cannot but value, yeah? Mm. We, we always bring some sort of valuations, uh, perspectives uh, mm. to things. And if we look at it from this point of view, then again like go, good and evil become all of a sudden fluid there's mm -hmm. really there's and I, and I always i you know there's nothing that is inherently good or nothing that's inherently bad and we really have to go back like with this idea of the text of homo natura to kind of a kind of a, a point zero where we say look nature is actually it's actually good it's it's abundant yeah there's fullness um and undo um, I guess a, 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 a more Christian notion of human nature as evil, and so I think that that's that is really helpful. But mm. on the other hand, what I find fascinating in Nietzsche is as well. Look, this idea of value creation—it's actually not just human. Every <laughs> being <laughs> in in has creates values, yeah, and has uh, has a different perspective on things he says oh i wish i you know how would the animal think about this or mm. how would the plant think about this so value economically I, or ethically you're talking about morality more but more morality yeah I mean, yeah yeah in moral sense yes mm. but, but i think there are some that's not unrelated to us thinking about economy um, mm. and can can bring us to gift giving mm, for sure mm. there, there are connections so I but think i guess animal morality is is highly contextual isn't it and uh fluid and responsive yeah mm. I, 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 look I, I don't know even i would i would call it a, like an animal morality you know um mm. i think for for nietzsche there's something about life that has to do with value creation mm. And I think what we've, I guess, created is a kind of a very rigid system, sim simple system of evaluation, whereas in reality, it's actually complex and, uh, mm. and, and diverse. Mm. Yeah, that's it. 
Well, it just um, so leaves us with more questions than answers. <laughs> but that's good. That's yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Uh, well, what did, what did you really want to talk about? Like, I've, I've, like, um, I've, I've worked through all the things that I, that I, I really needed to, you know, that were burning issues for me that I wanted to uh, pick your brains over. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I was sort of really interested in um, in the um, in that notion of sustainability mm. and what you mean by it. Well, it's now, it's was... one that I critique quite heavily. I, good. I, I've got a problem okay. with it. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Yeah. I was, I was, I've really was sort of trying to look for well, look, how would you, if I would be looking for. Um, something like sustainability in Nietzsche's philosophy, then probably I would go to his notion of, of justice as, as balance. Mm. That's probably the place to go. Mm. I think that's sort of one um, a theme that I was thinking of, but um, look, there are so many uh, points of connection. I, I, I think also uh, would be interesting to, to talk or dig a little bit deeper, but mm. maybe for another time on yeah of his notion of memory and forgetfulness and and metaphor creation that's and, it and 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 i think it, it that, that would be really interesting as well well balance is never a permanent state absolutely you know, for a start and the idea that you can yeah. you can freeze a state in a permanent you know good we'll always be able to get this from here um that's just that's not doable <laughs> no, no, you know, and so that's why, like, one of the biggest messages that I brought from my old people is, um, if you don't move with the land, the land will move you. Mm. You know, so sustainable means fluid. <laughs> yes. It means something that's quite fluid and always very diverse, and and yes. being able to shift and move with that. And um, you know, the pattern is important, but the pattern breakers are just as important. Yeah. You need homeo. You need um. You need hysteresis as much as you need homeostasis. Yes. Otherwise, the pattern yeah. just there's just entropy. It's beautiful, but it just keeps replicating the same way, and it dies. Yeah. You know, um, and that's um, yeah, <laughs> that's what it's all. That's what it's all about, I guess. Um, yeah. Look, look, and, and I think that that maybe is what what Nietzsche means by 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 power or by you know the German word Macht. It's yeah. As this, it does not um, it. It does not come to a standstill, mm. but it's it is about basically mm. that dynamic and that continuous um, movement, and hence mm. changing of mm. shifting of relationships mm. as well. Um, well, look, the idea of balance it's it's pretty much the same as the idea of um, you know supply and demand equilibrium in economics. It's it's not a real thing. No. You know, it may occur for a, the briefest moment but everything is always in a state of swinging back one way or, an, or one way or the other you know and it, it is hinging on a vaguely a phenomenon of balance and that's what keeps keeps it swinging uh one way or the other and the problem is when it stops swinging and somebody tries to freeze it and trap it in an unbalanced state that's tipping towards you know the benefit of um of one group or one area or something like that and i think that's when you know that um that life force, whatever you want to call it, becomes blocked. It's when values are blocked. It's when everything becomes uh, blocked, uneven, and you get that stasis. Nothing is moving, and I feel like that's that's what resentment really is 
as well. It's um, and in that way, I think that will to relation, that will to power is um, is trapped, block, polluted, disrupted. Um, you know, by permanent imbalances rather than the constant seesawing effect. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> that is creation. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And I, and then that 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 would be in injustice, and it would create injustices mm. and inequalities and mm. forms of domination and and all the stuff that we well, know look, about. Even these things don't last forever. No, that's right. And I think that's that is something that yeah. I guess Nietzsche has pointed towards, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wherever there's whatever, um, there's like a leader, there's always a way around him, him yeah. or her. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I can just uh, um, try and get our minds off that and direct our attention towards this greater cosmopolis mm -hmm. we're in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. What a beautiful yarn. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much that, that look, there, there are many really interesting um, points of connection, though. We, mm. There's more mm. to explore, for sure. Yeah. But I I, think, I'm good. I'm good. We, we teased out a bit more that yeah. power will to relation. Um, I think that's the main thing, connection. you know, because that's it's something we've talked about and we proposed on this uh, podcast and in the lab before, as you know, that, you know, we talking about ah oh, what, what if it was you know we could talk to people about you know will to relation instead of will to power but it's like yeah no it's already been done um that's what he meant <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things like survival of the fittest god is dead um uh, what was the one i opened with from conan uh, um, what doesn't what doesn't the, kill you makes, makes you stronger, stronger. <laughs> it makes you stronger like me um yeah that's that's not it no, that's not it. <laughs> uh, that's not it. All right. Well, I've I've moved on a little bit from my adolescence, slightly <laughs> further in my masculinity as a result of this conversation, Vanessa. Thank you so much. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> Thanks, Tyson. It's yeah. Been a pleasure. Now, cast me out of Valhalla and laugh at me. <laughs>